It is our privilege to have Pastor Bruce Hamilton, his wife Lena, uh, who are with us this, this week. Uh, they were with us about four or five years ago for our missions conference. And um, Brother Hamilton has been really on the staff at Hamilton Acres Baptist Church there at, and, um, and for 30, 39 years. And uh, so uh, pastor for 24 years there. Uh, he was staff evangelist and had other, other roles there, but God has used him greatly throughout that state. We had him uh, several years ago speak because of the unique ministry God had given him with uh, the Chinese community in northern Alaska. And it's really quite amazing. Uh, the doors that God has opened providentially has uh, given them opportunities to reach many, many uh, Chinese families for Christ, also other Asian uh, families that are up there as well. And so we wanted him to kind of give you a little follow-up of that, and which he will be doing throughout the week, and just, again, showing you uh, how God has uh, worked in hearts and the opportunities God has given them. Hopefully it'll be a challenge to you to see the opportunities that God may have in front of you as well. Uh, sometimes we, we don't, are not even aware of. So we look forward to what the Lord has uh, laid on Brother Hamilton's heart. All right, thank you, Pastor Larry, and thank you, Pastor Indeen and Pastor Nathan, all of you folks who are very near and dear to our hearts here at Tri-City Baptist Church. This place really is like a second home to us because uh, soon after I entered into full-time itinerant ministry back in 1985, uh, Dr. Singleton took us under his wing and began to mentor us as he did so many others. And um, he invited us to come down here to Tri-City. Of course, that was at the old location on uh, Southern. And uh, he, he allowed me to preach. I didn't know what I was doing. Probably still don't, but he allowed me to preach at that time and uh, set meetings up for us and just really encouraged us in the Lord. And we got to know some of you folks and form deep friendships that have become even deeper over the years. And so whenever we come to Tri-City Baptist Church here, in, now in Chandler, uh, it's just like coming home for us. But we don't feel like we're leaving the mission field, as uh, Brother Messler alluded to earlier this week. We feel like we're coming to the mission field when we come to America, you know what I mean? And uh, when we go back to Alaska, we're going home. But as uh, Pastor Larry mentioned a moment ago, now when we go home, we're not only going back to our own church people whom we love very much and we serve them day and night with the help of God, but we're also going back now to the Chinese. Who would, who would have ever thought that God would bring China to Fairbanks, Alaska. But he does, uh, sometimes for the same reasons uh, here, that they are here, and that's restaurants, uh, tour businesses, they're very business-minded people. But also they come to Alaska with the great, great hope. It is the number one thing on their bucket list to see the aurora. And the best I can figure out, and this is uh, being very honest with you and upfront, 
is that coming from an atheistic background, which is uh, all most of them know, and certainly all that their government teaches them, similar to ours now, coming from an atheistic background, seeing the aurora is the nearest thing to a God experience that they can have, and they crave it greatly. So they come to Alaska by the thousands. Now this is B.C., before COVID. They come to Alaska by, by the thousands to see the aurora, and, and Fairbanks is one of the number one places in the world to see the aurora, and so God has used that and given Lena and I an open door. So those of you who were here four years ago for the missions conference uh, very likely remember the story of row six, March 23 of 2016. The Holy Spirit just very suddenly and shockingly brought Chinese people into our ministry circle and the ripple effect has continued to this day. So for five and a half years, the circle of ministry with the Asian people, now including Vietnamese, Filipino, others, um, has just continued to grow to where now it is, it is a seven-day-a-week ministry sharing the gospel or building gospel bridges with these people. And probably I would be more accurate to say seven nights a week because in the daytime we serve our local church families and our people. We love them very much. But because of the work schedules of the Asian people, uh, most of them get off work at 8, 9, or 10 o'clock at night and then come to our house for a dinner and a gospel event. Uh, Pastor Nathan was at one of these little gatherings just the other day when he was up there preaching for our youth camp, and he and his daughter uh, Macy were there, and and uh, and Pastor Nathan sat at the table with the Chinese people, and of course with his background, he you could tell he was very comfortable, and he was also enjoying the Chinese hot pot style of eating. And we do these late night events. Now, we don't do the late night thing seven nights a week, thank goodness. My wife is strong, but she's not that strong, and neither am I. But, but, but what I'm saying is that seven days or seven nights a week, continually, we communicate with one or two or ten or forty of these people, just however many God brings uh, Sometimes it's through WeChat. Sometimes it's uh, through texting or FaceTime. And other times it's someone knocking on the door, looking for a Bible in their language, or looking for counseling and help, or just wanting friendship. Because of this, the Chinese community in Fairbanks, Alaska, know our names but that isn't our goal we want them to know the name of Christ and our attitude is continually he must increase but we must decrease but oftentimes a Chinese person and this just happened since you were there pastor Nathan you uh, came back here and then about a month after you left and and by the way this is uh, just constant um, 
a Chinese person began having nightmares and she couldn't tell if she was seeing ghosts or spiritual activity in her home or if it was the dream. And she confided in her friend. And her friend said, you need to see Bruce and Lena and put her in touch with us. And since that time, that lady has been coming to church. She does profess to be a Christian. We're in the process of finding out. Your, your missions conference kind of interrupted our ministry up there, if you don't mind. But, but we're happy to be here. Uh, but honestly, we can't wait to get back home because we're in the process of trying to figure out if this lady is a true believer. But one thing about it, she is exhibiting some fruit of a believer because she keeps bringing her friends to us and saying, you need to meet Bruce and Lena and you need help. And, and she keeps doing that every week. There's a new friend, there's a new friend, there's a new friend. And so we're thrilled about it because anybody who is thrilled uh, about the gospel and loves people, you get excited, right, Brother Mike? You get excited when God brings the Daniels into your path. And Brother Angel knows what I'm talking about in his wife, Margaret. So let me just give you a very quick five minute. I'm not even, I put my script away. I had a script. I just want to, because I want to abbreviate it. I don't want to drag this thing out. But I just want to remind you of the row six story, bring you up to speed, because beginning tonight I, and Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night as well, I want to show a three to five minute PowerPoint story of individuals that God has miraculously brought into our ministry circle and then miraculously provides the Chinese speaker to help us close that gap because we can sense the Spirit of God puts it on our hearts as they come closer to accepting Christ we can sense it but because we don't speak the language very well only enough to get in trouble that final step of faith into Christ, we need help with someone who understands their thinking, their culture, and their language very well. And God always provides it. And strangely enough, it's almost always a Chinese praying grandmother. Okay? And we never had that before. Do you understand? Before row six, we never had... Chinese grandmothers come into our church service suddenly, unannounced, unknown. We never had missionaries like James and Susie Ewan come to our church to present their work at the perfect time, right when we needed somebody to help us communicate in Cantonese and Mandarin. Of course, James had to brush up on his Cantonese, but he spoke a lot more of it than I did and helped us with that. We never had... Pastor Larry Ball never called us before and said, I have a, a pastor from Singapore here. His name is Chris Churn. Would you like him to come up there and help you? And he came at the perfect time and led three of our uh, lost lambs to the Lord. That's God. That's the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Why missions? 
Why, why even get involved? And, and for sure, we can. it's a fair question to say, why surrender your life to becoming a reaper in God's great harvest? Why? I want to speak this morning briefly on the subject, the motivation for missions. The motivation for missions. Why should we even consider? And by the way, no matter what age you are. So you do understand that even though our focus is directed towards high school, college age, young people. You can serve God at any age. I sometimes wonder why did God wait until I was in my 50s for the row six event to take place. Man, had this happened when I was in my 20s, I could have actually learned to speak Mandarin. I had a brain back then. It was functioning. My wife didn't think so, but it was functioning. But God's timing is perfect. And our blessed Holy Spirit is sovereign. Oh, He is in control. Uh, and I don't think we really comprehend it or else we don't really believe it. But He is in control of every leaf that falls from every tree. And I really believe that. By the way, this message this morning, uh, I'll preach part two tonight because I know I don't have time uh, to preach the whole thing this morning because th there's just so much to share with you to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to, to demonstrate that it is the Holy Spirit of God that is at work today. And the work He is doing is He's lifting up Jesus in order to draw and form and build a bride for Jesus Christ. Okay? And, and so He is sovereign and He is in control. You would think, and by, by the way, every time we leave home to travel like we are on this trip, in my mind we're leaving the Chinese ministry in Fairbanks and then God proves that He isn't leaving the Chinese ministry in Fairbanks. Uh, months ago I flew to Atlanta, Georgia and on every flight I had Chinese people in my row and and shared the gospel with them in some way or another. I, I, we, we always take Chinese tracks with us now because it's like, okay Lord. So we fly down here. We got here to Phoenix the other day and of course it was before the conference and we just felt impressed to get a hold of some old friends down in Tucson and they, yeah, please come down here, visit us. We want to see you guys and we've been praying for the Chinese ministry. We want an update. And so we go to Tucson and we fellowship with these folks. And then the, the lady, the hostess of the house, um, kind of led my wife astray. They went shopping one day uh, on Wednesday, as a matter of fact, this past Wednesday, she led my wife into idolatry, and they went to the outlet malls. And I, they said, and, and uh, the lady, Cindy, she said, please, please go with us. I said, no, somebody's got to stay home and grieve. And 
So I did. I stayed there, and what I wanted was to be totally alone in that house, so on the dining room table I could lay out all my notes for this conference and see where are the weaknesses, where, where am I prepared totally, and I can set that aside. And I'm doing all this, and I'm looking over my outlines, and I see uh, in my notes for one of the sermons, which we will get to in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you remember, Paul talks about the removal of the veil from off the eyes. And he's speaking of Israel, but it applies to any nation and Gentiles too, because in chapter 4 he says, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of anyone that believes not. Okay? But he says, and you know, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You know, that, that verse has really been misused, right? It just means that when the Spirit of God removes the veil, He sets somebody free from the bondage of sin and Satan. It's, it's a glorious passage. And, and in that outline, I wrote a name. And you're, mm, you might see this story this week. Coralina. And I saw that name. And I said to myself, we haven't heard from her in three months. I better send her a WeChat and see how she's doing. She's somewhere in America, but we don't know where. She was in Alaska where she trusted Christ. She followed Christ in baptism. We discipled her. And then, like they all do, she wanted to travel, uh, take a month's vacation, travel around the U.S., and then find a, a restaurant job somewhere and start working. And so she moved around a bit and we lost track of her. And, and so I sent her a WeChat and I simply said, Hi, we're in Arizona. And she sent back a voice chat because I could tell by the background noise that she was driving. And she said, Me too! <laughs> and she said, Where are you? And about our text crossed because I, I started voice chatting too, realizing she didn't need to be reading while driving. And so I said, um, Tucson. And at the same time, she texted, Tucson. And then her voice just started rising and getting excited. And she's like, Where? Where? And, and dumb old me, I told you I used to have a brain. I, I text back, Tucson. <laughs> and she meant, you know, she's trying to fine-tune it, right? And I'm, I'm not getting it. So she sends her location. I don't even know how to do that. So I, the bottom line is she was on I-10 driving, passing through, but coming up from the, I guess, the south on I-10 and, and was near Tucson, entering Tucson. And the timing was perfect. And she pulled over at a big truck stop. And she said, can you come to, and you guys can check this out if you want, because I still remember it. Can you come to 5050 West Ina Road? And I looked, and it's 3.5 miles, and, and Lena's shopping, and all, this, all the while in between, I'm telling Lena, you got to come home. There's a surprise for you. And so Lena did, and, and, uh, and I texted Lena and Cindy, and I said, 
This stuff never stops happening. So then she knew that it was something to do with the Chinese. And she says, okay, so she and Cindy are on their way to 5050 West Ina Road, and she said they were excitedly guessing. What is it? Did he meet a Chinese person and already lead him to Christ and baptize him or what? <laughs> they're probably already trained and going to China as a missionary. You know, they're, they're, all, they're getting all out of whack. But I got there, and there was Coralina, and we... Hugged, and she about squeezed the liver out of me. And she said, I have good news. I have great news. I said, what? She said, my husband and my daughter just got the visa, and they're coming to CA next month. CA, they, they use the initials of the states, you know. They're coming to CA next month. And my daughter already in the, the Christian school. And my husband want to believe in Jesus and be baptized. And, and the reason for that is, and I know that to be true, because soon after Coralina believed in Jesus, see, her husband and daughter have been over there, and these people work and, you know, send money to help support so they can have a living. And sometimes they come over here with the hopes that one person can uh, set things up for the rest to follow. Some people have a problem with that and get all political about it. I just see it as an opportunity to lead people to Christ and see people from other nations get saved. And so, but when Coralina first got saved and FaceTimed with her husband soon afterwards, he said to her, What's going on? She told us this. Something's different about you. And she told him what happened. And he said, I want, I want. So we sent him a Chinese Bible. And on that Bible, we engraved his wife's name and his daughter's name, the two most precious people to him. So when he received it, he sent a selfie to us, proudly holding up that Bible. And I hope he's, uh, he, he's either been reading it or Coralina's been sharing the gospel with him because the guy is ready to believe and be saved if he hasn't been already. But we will find out. Because the three of them are coming to Fairbanks for Christmas. And you pray that this family can become one in the Lord Jesus Christ and become a great influence for the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm thinking to myself, it never ends. It never ends. The timing of that is perfect, and it was done by the Holy Spirit. Who knew? And who else could do that but Almighty God? Well, that's the same kind of power and glory that Paul experienced that drew him into missions, that caused him to say these words. Do you remember on the Damascus Road, that dusty road flat on his back, blinded by the light, and hearing the most shocking news of his life, I am Jesus, the one he thought was dead. And Paul's response was, Lord, what would you have me to do? This encounter with the risen Lord. Paul met a person he thought was dead, and it changed his life. Paul made a promise he faithfully kept, and it validated his life. 
Paul manifested the gospel he received from God and it cost him his life. But so what? We're all going to die anyway. Why not go out in a blaze of glory for the Lord Jesus Christ? And that's what Paul did. So he was not shy about claiming and asserting that his call was directly from God. 1-1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, by the direct act of God, by the instructions of Almighty God. Paul was drawn into missions. And oh, there's nothing greater than that. Ah, there's no greater honor than like John the Baptist to point others to Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's so exciting to do this. And many of you know this already, but the, 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 the Chinese characters, their written language is the oldest in the world. And it goes back 4,500 years and their, their words are word pictures. And the pictures in the words, the emperor that invented their written language knew the Bible stories because he incorporated the stories from the book of Genesis into their words. And it's, and it's absolutely amazing. The, the, the word for covet or desire is a woman between two trees. The word for temptation is a serpent in a tree. But my favorite is the word for righteousness, and I'm not telling you more for sake of time, but the word for righteousness is four word pictures. It's hand, knife or spear, and a lamb over me. And that's their word for righteousness. And when we explain this to our tour guide in Beijing in the Forbidden City, a young lady who had been trained in ancient Chinese language and culture, that's what her degree was in. And when we showed her this, she said, Wah, their word for wow, Wah, this is older than Buddha. And I said, yes, Christianity and Jesus and the Bible are not Western thoughts and ideas. Your people had the truth of God and you knew the one true God many years ago, long before America was ever born. And you need to leave the Buddhas and come back to God. And one of the stories I'll show you, our, our first convert, and you just saw our picture, but the story of young... It, I, we title that From Buddha to Bible. And you'll see that this week. But let me tell you something. Paul worshipped the God of the Old Testament. He just didn't believe Jesus was alive. So when he got knocked flat on his back on the dusty Damascus road, and that voice said, I am Jesus, the Apostle Paul's life changed right then and there because that's when he said, Lord, now he knows he's talking to the risen Christ and he confesses him as Lord. I believe Saul was saved before he ever got up out of the dirt. And yes, it did cost him his life. But let's say that Paul had uh, refused. Well, he'd still be dead today, wouldn't he? And oftentimes, people who surrender to the mission field and the Lord's work 
still live to a ripe old age. My daddy did. I mean, my daddy lived to be 92 years old and, and was, had his, thank the Lord, his mental faculties. He was very weak and, and had lost a lot of weight. And my mama went to heaven February 26 of 18. And four months to the day later, June 26, my daddy went to heaven. But before he did, he looked up at me and he, he always called me Doc from the time I was a kid. And he said, Doc, one day we'll all be in the glory. Now that's true, isn't it? He's talking about the whole family, our, our inner circle family. He says, one day we'll all be in the glory. You know, that's where Paul is right now. And I'll bet you he's very glad that he said those words, Lord, what would you have me to do? You see, Paul was motivated for missions by three great events. One in his past, which we've just talked about. One in the present. And one great event in the future. And those three great events moved him to be the greatest missionary that ever lived. Oh, listen. Paul's encounter with the risen Christ changed his life and pulled him right into the service of the Lord. And then, as Paul began to preach the gospel, enemies rose up. That's always going to be the case. We have enemies. We have Asian enemies. We have American enemies. We have those who are opposed to the gospel. We have those who are opposed to what we do. Some of them, and I think it's kind of humorous, still sit at our table because they can't refuse the food. And, and like they say, the Chinese say, the camera must eat first. So they take pictures of the food, they post it on their WeChat, and then they enjoy the steak or whatever we're having. But that's okay with us. But if we begin talking Bible or teaching Bible, they politely excuse themselves and leave because they're loyal to the Buddhas. Okay, But one day that loyalty, just like Paul was loyal to what he believed, but that loyalty was completely surrendered to Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And you know, people who are fiercely loyal to false gods, when they turn to the Lord Jesus, they sure become great servants of the Master, don't they? They become great servants of the Lord. But in so doing, Paul created a lot of enemies he was continually hounded look at look at verse 8 it says for we would not brethren have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in asia that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life and i believe when paul said you remember the the thorn in the flesh passage where he says i besought the lord three times that this thorn in the flesh would depart from me and, and theologians have argued and debated and surmised over what that might be uh, for eons. But I believe Paul says it right in the passage. He says, this thorn in the flesh, comma, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. And I believe that's literal when he says, I believe that his thorn in the flesh was Satan stirred up enemies of the gospel everywhere Paul went. And he was continually beaten to a pulp for preaching the gospel. 
I, I would call that a thorn in the flesh. I, I don't think it was poor eyesight or that his uh, pinky was cut off somehow and he wanted it restored or that he had a bad limp. I think that Paul says my thorn in the flesh is this messenger of Satan that follows me everywhere I go and stirs up trouble and I get beaten to within an inch of my life. He was continually hounded, dogged, even persecuted by the Judaizers who polluted the gospel with the law. For this reason, though, Paul continually delineated the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15. Then he defended the gospel. Here in chapter 2, verse 17. If you'll look at that with me. Chapter 2, verse 17. For we are not as many... Means there's more enemies than not. For we are not as many which corrupt or peddle or merchandise the Word of God, dilute the Word of God, but as of sincerity, as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. He says we're outnumbered by the enemies of the Gospel who corrupt the Word of God. The word used there means to peddle, means peddling. Uh, it was a word actually used uh, for those who would take wine and water it down with another substance and then sell it and thereby increase their profits by increasing their inventory. Paul says, we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God. We don't water it down. We don't dilute the Gospel. But as we speak sincerely, transparently, purely, as of God, in the sight of God, isn't that something that everything Paul did, he recognized that God was watching. And he says, in the sight of God, in Jesus Christ, we do this gospel ministry. That's how he did missions. So he delineates the gospel in 15 of 1 Corinthians. He defends the gospel here in 2 Corinthians 2.17 uh, and then again in 4.2 where he says, We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And you might say, how is this defending the gospel? Well, a part of defending the gospel is exposing the enemies to the gospel. And most churches and pastors are afraid to do that today. It not only isn't politically correct, it's seen as not being theologically correct or socially acceptable. And yet it is our responsibility, just like Paul did very clearly in the book of Galatians, he defended the gospel and he exposed the false teachers. He identified them. Sometimes he even named them and warned the people to stay away from them. And I admire churches like Tri-City Baptist Church that still hold the line, and are faithful in defending the gospel today. Paul did, and we must continue to do so for the sake of our people. And then thirdly, Paul declared the gospel. And you know what I have for my cross-reference there? It says, read the New Testament. Paul continually, everywhere he went, that guy permeated the area with the gospel. And we'll be seeing that either uh, tonight or tomorrow night, probably uh, Monday night. The permeation of the gospel, permeating the area around you uh, with the gospel like Paul did. This man was faithful with that which he had been entrusted. So no wonder at the end of his life he said, I have fought 
a good faith. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. He wasn't bragging. You know, you don't brag when you're dying. You just, it's just not a normal thing to do. As a matter of fact, death is not only humbling, it's humiliating. I watched my daddy dwindle down and our first convert, our first little lamb, young, had recently been baptized. And I said to her one day, I said, can you get time off work? I would like you to meet and pray with my daddy before he goes to heaven. And she immediately did so. And Lena and I drove her 630 miles south of Fairbanks to the hospital where my dad was, and he was there because my sister was employed there and was able to help take care of him. And my mama had just, just passed in February, and this was in June. And when we walked into that hospital room where my daddy lay in the bed and he was awake, I was very surprised when this little Chinese lamb of Jesus, a new little lamb of Jesus, passed by me and rushed to his side and knelt by his bed. Never met him before. And she took her, his hands in hers, kneeling by the bedside, and she just looked at him. And he looked at her. And he looked up at me. I'm standing by that time. Lena and I were right behind Young. And my dad looked up at me and he said, Who is this? <laughs> and my daddy was very hard of hearing. He fought under Patton in World War II in the checkerboard division. And my, my dad, his hearing was gone. Very hard of hearing uh, from that experience. And so, and instead of trying to write, and his vision was going, instead of trying to write in big letters, all, all I could think to do was grab my phone and I showed him her baptism video, her being baptized in the baptistry where he had baptized hundreds of people over the 30 years that he pastored the church. Probably two or 300 people. So he immediately recognized that baptistry and he saw this girl going under the water so he knew the whole story in an instant. And I'll never forget it. My dad pointed that holy bony finger that I had seen pointed from the pulpit thousands of times over the years. And he pointed that at this little Chinese girl, young, and he said, you live for the Lord your whole life. And she said, I will, grandfather. I will. That's the best sermon a dying man can preach to a young person. You live for the Lord your whole life. Give yourself to Christ. There's nothing greater. There's nothing more joyful. Yes, there's nothing more agonizing either. Paul, did he ever agonize over the churches and over his little lambs? There's nothing greater than serving the Lord your whole life. Now that's my challenge this morning. And to be honest with you, I've, I've pretty much, because of the stories and the slides given you just an introduction for the rest of the week, but I promise we will get 
gnarly and deeply into Second Corinthians 1, 2, 3, and 4. And we're, we're on a hike together, really. We do a lot of hiking in Alaska. And we're on a hike together in the summit. We're not exactly going to the top of Denali, 20,320 feet. But the top, the, the, the peak of our hike is found in chapter 4. You look for it. I better not quote it or I'll start preaching it. But let's pray.